This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Freeby, and this week, we're in Missouri. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to the skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist It's Amelia. Welcome back to the 50 Feminist States podcast. I am so excited to welcome you here for season three. I have to give so, 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 so many thanks to all the folks who funded the 50 Feminist States Future Seasons Kickstarter campaign. You made it possible for there to be more episodes of this podcast, for us to go to more states and hear from more feminist activists and artists. I am so thankful for you, and I am so happy to be sharing this third season of the podcast. For season three, I traveled through the Midwest and the South. And so this season, you're going to hear episodes from Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and Kentucky. There are so many amazing conversations in this season. I feel like I should say that again. There are so many amazing conversations in this season. And I'm so pumped to bring them to you. So this first episode of the season is in Missouri. And in Missouri, I went to St. Louis to speak to activist and writer Allison Thompson. I was so excited to talk to Allison because I followed her on Instagram for quite a while. And I really just gotten this sense of her holistic approach to organizing, the way she's always concerned with activism as something that happens not only in, you know, day long or week long or month long actions, but also in our everyday lives. And so I really wanted to hear her thoughts on that, as well as to talk to her about some of her more recent work with the Mixed Feelings Project that creates spaces for community among mixed race individuals in St. Louis. In the past few years, I think that St. Louis has really become this pivotal location for national conversations around race in the United States. After Michael Brown was shot by Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson in 2014, I think that the unrest that that tragic shooting ignited was so important for the movement building that we've seen in the past five years. And I was in St. Louis almost five years to the day after that happened and really was so appreciative of Allison's having this conversation with me. She didn't live in St. Louis in 2014, but she too was drawn to the city because of the movement building that happened and is happening there around race, around policing, around social justice. So I wanted to have a conversation about race in St. Louis. And I think that Allison's perspective here is so important and the ways that she's working with the Mixed Feelings Project to talk about mixed race, to talk about individuals who don't live in terms of these literally black and white binaries that we construct around race in the US. And I'm really thankful to her for kind of opening up and having that conversation with me and that we were able to consider that in Missouri particularly. So in this episode, you're going to hear from Allison about her work with the 4A project, her work with Mixed Feelings St. Louis, and then her 
writing and more creative work and how that work has become a part of her own healing process. We had such an amazing conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and let Allison introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her work. My name is Allison Thompson, and we are in St. Louis, Missouri. I am not from St. Louis. It'll be, I'll be, have been here three years in October. Um, and I'm actually from, most recently from Alabama and uh, grew up between there and Georgia. With St. Louis, I was really drawn here, um, kind of was paying attention to it a lot after the Michael Brown shooting and kind of paying attention to the conversations that were happening um, kind of around the country and even around the world around that and wanted to be in a more um, kind of like organized activist city and wanted to be closer to the work here and figure out what it looked like for me to be involved in that. So I thought I'd just move out here and see um, where it took me. Basically what I do when I move to a new place is I love context. And so I love context with people, context with places. And so I was just like, I just need to go out and just find the life of the city. Like what's happening here? What has been happening here? What's going on? Where do I want to kind of plug in? And um, in 2017, there was a, a verdict that came out called the Stockley verdict. And it was around an unarmed um, black man being shot by a police officer and, um, there was a non-indictment. And so that was sort of, people could feel kind of approaching that, that it was going to be like the next biggest uprising in St. Louis since Ferguson. Um, and so that's kind of what led me into, into a lot of movement work myself of kind of figuring out my place there, which is how I started the foray project Since the Foray Project was the first way that I learned about Allison's work and her first, at least more formal, organizing effort in St. Louis, I asked her if she could share a little bit more about how she got involved and exactly what the Foray Project did in St. Louis. So yeah, the Foray Project was started a few weeks after uh, the Stockley verdict came out, and there was a lot of organizing and actions around the city, but they were kind of like high-stress, traumatizing um, actions that involved like police interaction and um, just like really stressful. And I could kind of tell over time that people were getting burnt out and overwhelmed and um, not able to like to show up as much as they wanted to, but also people were kind of viewing activism through this particular like lens or viewing it in this way of like, oh, I need to show up to this protest or, um, and I was realizing this isn't sustainable. One, there are so many folks with like mental health, um, chronic pain, trauma, various things that keep them from showing up to, um, to actions like this on a like regular basis and it's also problematic that we're defining activism in this very specific way that is not an indefinite 
form of um of activism and so i really wanted to kind of like shift the conversation into a more sustainable integrative approach to activism that was around how do we show up in our everyday lives instead of adding activism to our lives what does it look like in the bases places people that we're in that we're around the things that we are good at the things that we enjoy doing what if we were able to show up in those ways like what if it didn't have to be stressful and like life risking and like all of these things and and that that is definitely like what some folks do but I just realized that movements aren't these sort of like things that exist outside of us movements are made up of people and the health and sustainability of the movement is reflected in the health and sustainability of the people that make up the movement and so how are we showing up for ourselves, for each other, and how do we have a a rhythm of of care and pleasure and joy and connection and community in our activism instead of this sort of um, run yourself into the ground, burn out, step away, recover for weeks, months, years, then come back. Um, and there have been a lot of folks that have participated in that model and it it doesn't produce like good outcomes it's not the most effective way that we can do movement work so me and my friends were sort of responding to some calls for like healing spaces um, in St. Louis where people could come and kind of rest and recharge and um, and find some healing and connection. And so we were like, well, what can we do? What do we have available to us? And my friend Caitlin has a studio apartment um, downtown that's just kind of this big open space that can be transformed into different kinds of things. And I had made a good amount of connections at that point um, with activists and like local business folks. Um, And then our friend E as well um, joined in and had been, was friends with a lot of activist folks as well, had been involved in some community dinners, like weekly dinners and talked about the power and impact of just like gathering regularly around a meal. Um, So we kind of were like taking all of these things and, Caitlin's desire to gather folks in her home and my desire just to like really build community here and um, and kind of like build a new framework for how we're how we're organizing how we're gathering and we started having monthly um, community dinners um, that were free to come to and we would bring in healers and wellness practitioners um, that were local And we usually, we tried to prioritize women, queer folks, people of color to come and facilitate and like lead those practices. So we had everybody from yoga instructors and mindfulness practitioners and um, trauma-informed counselors come in and lead workshops or a yoga practice or um, a guided meditation and um, and we wanted to be able to allow the events themselves to be healing but also to give people tools to take with them to kind of keep caring for themselves um, learning how to show up 
for other people. And so it's kind of a, an, an end and a means in itself. Um, that was really important for us to really just like get that conversation going, get that rhythm going. And for a lot of people, the like notifications, like the invites to the events were the reminder of like, oh yeah, I need to stop. Oh yeah, I need to rest. Oh yeah, I need to take care of myself. Oh yeah, I need to connect with people. And yeah, it was a really beautiful, it was a really beautiful time and it's work that I want to continue doing. Um, but we wrapped it up after a year and then I kind of moved on to a new project. I really love so many of the things that Allison said about self-care and organizing and the ways in which I think we all often think of like work and rest as, you know, two sides of a dichotomy or opposite parts of a process. We need to work a whole lot and then rest and not work at all, but we don't have to think of it that way. And she really helped me kind of raise those questions for myself. Where was I thinking of rest as something that I had to kind of fit in around the work I was doing? Or where was I seeing self-care as something separate from the work that I do in my communities? And I think this emphasis on the ways that we can build self-care into our daily lives and into our organizing work and spaces is such, such an important lesson and really a gift that I felt I received when Allison kind of talked about her views on this and the work of the 4A project. She brings a lot of these views into her next project. And so now we'll hear her tell us about mixed feelings and the organizing work she's now doing to create mixed race community in St. Louis. I uh, do identify as a black mixed race woman. And so my mom is white. My dad is black. Yeah, growing up in Alabama and Georgia, I didn't really have a lot of um, multiracial friends, so I'd kind of happen upon one every once in a while, and it would be really exciting, but for the most part, it was kind of a lonely experience once I hit middle school in particular, and there's a lot of those questions around who am I, therefore who am I going to hang out with, and we started to really you know, have that internalization of the, you know, racial system in America, that very binary way of of thinking about race. And so I, I began to feel really split and confused and like I needed to make a choice. And so like, which race am I going to choose? And 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 that was reflected in like, who am I going to hang out with? Am I going to hang out with the black kids or the white kids? And sometimes it even feels like you're choosing your parents. Like, which parent do I, I choose? And that was such a like weird thing for me to have to think through at that age. Just over time, it really got ingrained in me that belonging has to do with sameness. And I was really trying to to be the same and, and, and just kept kind of like bumping into all the ways that I was different. And people would always point that out. So for me, belonging became basically like invisibility like I just I want to blend I don't want to stick out and be noticed for the things that are different or unique even if somebody was making a you know giving me a compliment it was a thing that was different about me so whether it was my skin tone or 
my hair or the way that I spoke or the things that I was interested in. And so there are all these kind of like transformations that I went through to kind of like adjust and adapt and like survive in those spaces and and find connection and belonging. And, And then the moments where I really did feel that belonging and that like safety was whenever I did interact with another mixed kid. And it was so great, but it was so rare. Um, So anyways, as I grew up, I I realized like, okay, some of these like patterns and survival skills like are not healthy and I really need to heal around my relationship to my ancestry, my race. You know, I went natural eventually, like chopped off all my hair and got to know my curls. I, you know, loved being in the sun. Like there was a lot of healing that happened. And like once I got to like college in particular, I realized like, oh, there's so many different kinds of black people. Like it's not that I wasn't black enough. It was just like I didn't like relate to those kids that I grew up with. But there's so many ways to be black, so many ways to be a woman. Like I was just realizing like, oh, there is nuance. Groups are not a monolith. And there is this beauty to just like explore yourself and really started to ask like, what does it look like? like to be myself to not have these sort of like labels placed upon me that like determined how I would live how I would look what I would be interested in and then eventually by the time I moved to St. Louis like I'd done a lot of work around that but like still didn't really have community with mixed folks so once I started to meet a lot of people here I started to notice like hey I'm actually meeting a lot of mixed folks but I'm meeting them like kind of one-on-one and I listened to an interview on um, an NPR podcast called Code Switch it was around like mixed identity and there's this woman on there who did research at Duke around multiracial identity and multiracial experiences and was talking about sort of high mental health struggles among multiracial folks because of the at least like doubled alienation that they experience throughout their lives and I was like oh my god that's so real and I just hadn't thought of it ever as a big deal I was always like well my racial experience isn't as bad as folks that I know that are you know have two black parents and I just like I always felt bad complaining because I was like I have privilege with having light skin and all these different things and not just acknowledging like Yes, but also like you suffered and like you went through painful experiences and you need to process those and go and work through those. And then um, that also happened to be the year of the the 50 year anniversary of the Loving versus Virginia case, which made it legal for interracial couples to be together and therefore for mixed kids to exist. And a lot of people like hear that and they're like, oh, that's when like mixed people started to exist. And it's like, well, we've you know, been around since the beginning because of slavery and, and, you know, children being born. And, you know, so we kind of all have that running through our blood, but this, these sort of like consensual voluntary, like relationships and family starting, there is a documentary that came out called the loving generation that was about basically like the first generation of like couples that got to be together after the living versus Virginia case. And there was just so much like resonance with their experiences and the things that they're saying that I just thought were ridiculous that I was also thinking I was like oh I feel really validated that like yeah I did struggle with that or like I did think that or like yeah I survived that way too you know and there was one point where this guy was talking about being in college 
and he was just like talking to this group of folks about being mixed and he kind of stepped outside of the situation and was like whoa like I I've never been in a group of mixed people before and that like really hit me and was like whoa I haven't either and I was like but like what if I could replicate this experience hearing people like share their stories and being like whoa yeah me too and I was like I wonder how many other people have never been in a group of mixed folks before like why haven't we built community around this and it's because a lot of times because of that binary thinking around race we're just sort of like taught to like choose like you just got to pick one and go with that and that's partly because people don't know what to do with with multitudes with spectrums with that challenging of of binaries and like kind of being a nuanced being and so we kind of just are like oh yeah I need to just like fit into this box so people know how to interact with me because then they have a script for like okay this person is this therefore I do this but like people don't have a script for like how to interact with a mixed person and so a lot of times we tend to like internalize other people's awkwardness or hostility or discomfort and try to like accommodate to be like okay this will make me more palatable or like this will help me to fit in And so I kind of just put it out there like on Instagram, like, hey, I just watched this documentary. Has anybody else seen it? And I was like, what if we just like got together and talked about our experiences like this? Is anybody into that? And people are like, yes, I would love that. Yeah. I was like, literally, all I have to do to create a group of mixed people is invite all these people that I know to this one spot ta-da you know like it was just like so easy (laughs) and so I was just like okay this place this time this day let's get together and just like talk about our experiences so it was a potluck and there was about 10 or 15 of us there this was last year and nobody in the group had ever been in a group of mixed people before and it's really cool like when you get mixed people together it's just sort of this like popcorning that happens all over because you hear one person's story and you're like yeah 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 that happened to me in this way and like oh yeah that that happened to me and even if it's all these different mixtures people have all these different backgrounds but there's sort of this like general resonance with the mixed experience and then there's nuance there and there's ways that we learn from each other of like for me I don't know what it's like to have an ancestry of a language that I don't have access to that I didn't learn and sort of the shame around that and so there's similarity but then there's there's nuance there too there's difference and there's ways that we learn from each other and not just you know talking about the ways that we suffered and struggled but also like how do we move into like really processing this identity and having space for that finally and moving into like healing our trauma and like celebrating our identities having space for our identities and I think it's a really beautiful time to explore those questions because I think that not only is does this really add something to our conversation around race in America, but also just identity in general and how we're really beginning to pick apart this whole binary way of thinking and particularly around identity that you're this or this, you're this or this instead of like, what if I'm a multitude? But what if I'm this whole intersection of identities that I am both a woman and a mixed person, and a millennial, and a southern, like, there are all these things that really shape our experiences, and so even 
gathering people together and being like, yay, we're all mixed. That's like not all that we're bringing into that space. Um, and so there's there's so much beauty in just like really digging into like what's your story, not just what's your identity label. Raising this idea of the story behind or even in front of the identity label kind of led Allison and I to talk about her work as a writer and as a poet and the ways in which writing has helped her understand her story and share her experiences with the world. So I asked Allison, you know, just what's your writing practice like? What are you doing in your day-to-day work? How does it go? What does writing as a practice look like for you? And I think I was kind of expecting a like, oh, I write it these days or times, or I think about it this way, or poetry. When I read poetry, I feel this, and then I write that. But the answer she gave was really about the ways in which writing has brought her closer to understanding her identity through story and the ways that we can all be empowered by articulating our stories for ourselves and sharing those stories with others. So now we'll hear about the role that writing has played in the formation of Allison's uh, identity and story. So I've always been a writer, but I noticed that I was compartmentalizing myself, that I was like, okay, I'm doing these things. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a writer. I forgot about that. And I had a lot of healing to do and like processing to do around just the the way that I grew up, the communities and belief systems. So I started to kind of introduce myself in my work of like, here, here's all my processing through my healing around my relationship with myself, with my body and really kind of going on this in this journey with my intuition and like being in conversation with myself and so from that time until now I've been doing a lot of that writing and just putting it out there in this like project of vulnerability and just like seeing what happens like when you put the human experience out there this act of sharing your story like I think that a lot of us are really latching on to that and started to see this work of healing of like connecting with myself and learning how to show up in my relationships with other people this is the work and the movement too I'm still I'm still in the work even right now and that was kind of a a, an expansion of that whole conversation of like what if this is also the work that we're called to as well like what if um, what if this is like the way that we create the worlds that we're that we're fighting for that we're dreaming for is about us like being fully embodied in ourselves and like showing up in our relationships and like being connected like grounded people and I kept thinking about who do I want to become who am I growing into and I kind of like separated that from like my actual self of like okay I'm gonna like become this person and I really began to shift into what if becoming is about remembering and so it was a lot of reflecting back on who were you before you were told who to be like who are you before like you were really programmed and you internalize all of these like ideologies and like belief systems of of your environment that you grew up in and of like the nation and world that you live in and part of that for me was like talking to my parents about who was I when I was little like what was I like and I like whenever I would you know tell people about myself I would be like yeah I was like really I was like a painfully shy 
kid and I was just like really awkward and insecure and I would say all these things and so when I asked my parents um what was I like they were like yeah you were really like adventurous and observant and talkative and you would just like go up and talk to strangers and you would run ahead of us to like go check out something like you're really curious that was so impactful for me to hear that because it just like reframed whoa like how did that little girl become the little girl that I remembered like I internalized like oh my the gap in my teeth is like really embarrassing and I began began to be like really insecure about that I would cover my mouth when I laughed or smiled or sang or or anything um and there are just so many aspects of myself that I was just like this is shameful like I need to hide this I need to suppress this and it's really cool now because it's like so many of those things are like now things that I love about myself that other people love about me and so so much of the language that I use in my writing is about returning remembering becoming like who I've always been and it's really just about kind of like unlearning and like shedding these like survival strategies and coping mechanisms and so that's been really cool just to to have a writing practice that is about connecting with myself. I really loved Allison's emphasis on writing as a way to return to someone you have been and maybe want to be again or remembering or recovering parts of yourself that maybe you've lost track of through the process of socialization, especially socialization as she's talking about for mixed race people, but also for queer folks and for femmes and for anybody who lives in an ex- marginalized identities and experiences the world in those ways. So that really led us to talking more about how that sort of re-remembering and reclaiming can lead us into the future. It's not just an orientation toward the past, but really a way of bringing that past forward in time to the present and then using it to imagine a different world for ourselves that can liberate the people who are most oppressed, including us. And that's not easy work. It's a lot of work. We have a lot of unlearning to do in order to learn and then imagine what else the world could look like. But I really appreciate Allison's optimism and effort toward that shared liberatory future we could hopefully all one day have. As we're, as we're all sort of seeing the dysfunctional things about our society being exposed where we are, I think we're all kind of collectively entering into this like unlearning work, this kind of, you know, some people call it shadow work or whatever, but I, I think that we are seeing sort of the systems and structures and ideologies exposed. And then we're seeing how that is existing within us, how we've internalized those things. So it's not just, for me, then it wasn't just about becoming. It was about like, oh, I have to do all this work to unlearn as well. And then I would get so upset. I'm just like, I'm so exhausted. Like, I'm so upset that I spent all these years like internalizing all these things and I have to do all this work to unlearn and then I have to learn things and then I have to like implement them. But I mean, I think that's why we're all so tired. It's because we're also just like still existing in this world and like resisting continuing to internalize it while also like 
you know, like fighting against those things. And so for me and my writing practice as well, that's like more public about like social issues and, um, and our society is like, what if we didn't take the bait every time? Like, what if we didn't like enter into the comment section of life and are just like, you know, like, okay, here's the news, but then here's the like, everybody's thoughts about the news and like it's good to be a part of that conversation but I just see us like drowning in that and it like saps our energy and we just like we're just like continually upset over and over and over again about this thing that Trump did and this thing that this person did and like this thing that this group is going through and so I was like how do I like stay informed and not just hide myself in this like bubble and like hide under a rock until everything gets better but how do I have some sort of like energetic boundary where I'm just like okay you're not gonna like steal my energy and my joy and like what if I shifted the anger that I feel and the pain that I feel into what does it look like to build a new world like what does it look like to to shift our energy into like really thinking through what we don't like and we keep talking about like this is how we got here and like this is what's going on and then you know we write all these books and movies and tv shows about like how that could look like in the future and that's where all our like dystopian like novels and like stories and stuff come from it's like what if we didn't use our imagination for like how much worse things could get but like how things could like shift and change and get better and so instead of like dystopian kind of stuff like I really started to be fascinated by like Afrofuturism where it was like what if like I use my imagination to say what if black people were like thriving and like had joy and pleasure in their lives and so this way of um, again with the work of Adrienne Marie Brown, she talks a lot about using that like radical imagination to bring like science fiction into our organizing work of just saying like, what what if we just came up with the most ridiculous ideas and they're ridiculous because like they don't fit within the current world and they shouldn't because like it's a whole new thing that we're trying to build. Endless thanks to Allison for having this beautiful conversation with me and for her vulnerability and openness. You can and should follow her on Instagram at Allison Thompson. That's A-L-Y-S-O-N-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. You can also follow the Mixed Feelings Project at Mixed Feelings STL. And there you can keep up with the work uh, that Allison's doing to create community and public conversations on race and identity. On her page, you can read poetry and share experiences and share the story. Thanks so much to you for tuning in to season three of the Feminist Days podcast. I am thrilled to be sharing these conversations with you this fall and cannot wait for what's coming up next. Be back soon with more from Missouri. Until then, I'll see you on the road.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.